All right, this evening we're going to continue the second part of my four or five parts on how to celebrate properly as a Christian. And uh, we're really looking at some of the biblical examples and uh, what God calls on his people to do when he asks them or invites them or commands them sometimes to celebrate certain things. Um, We looked last week at two aspects of celebration that God has consistently commanded, and I know that they were built out of the Old Testament, um, and uh, we can't apply them legalistically, I don't intend to, um, but it was directive. They are directive for us to help us really kind of figure out, well, how does God want us to celebrate things? And we found out two things from last week, uh, there in Leviticus 22, that all these holidays that God set aside... um, he commanded them to rest, that uh, you have the Sabbath every seventh day, you have the celebrations that come up throughout the year, um, and so all those feasts, uh, there are supposed to be a Sabbath rest in there. Um, the week-long feast, it was the first day and the eighth day, were Sabbath rests, and one of the things that we find that God anticipates from us in our celebration Um, is that we do no normal work. We don't do anything that we normally do to earn a living. It is that whole idea that we're going to take this time off. And not only are we going to do it once a week, one day out of seven, and on these holidays, but we also find that he expects you to do it one year out of seven. And every 49, uh, you have the year Jubilee. So every seven of sevens. And so you just clear all debts, and wouldn't that be nice? You return all properties back to its original owners. Um, So really, every piece of land in Israel is really leased um, back then if they had fulfilled the law. You really never bought the land. You leased it, and uh, it would go back to the original family on the year Jubilee. And so all slaves were set free. If they wanted to resell themselves to you the next day, that's allowed, but... Um, you would have to pay the price because that's another 49 years um, before you get to another year of Jubilee. So it's basically the balance of their days. And so we find that rest is one of the ways where we do um, no customary work is the way the New King James talks about. No customary work, that we should rest. We should take off from work that we, one day out of seven, every holiday um, that God sets apart um, and he expects us to rest. Um, and then one out of seven, we take that, what we call sabbatical, um, that we also take and uh, have a year of jubilee, at least once every lifetime. And uh, so I'm getting ready to take mine. I'm pretty sure I haven't had one in my adult life, so I think once I get this house built, I might take a year off. And I don't know. Anyway. You guys are no. <laughs> my wife is going, yes. So... Um, the second thing we talked about last week was that we were supposed to eat. These are feasts. And in the category of feasts in Leviticus 22 is your Sabbath day each week. Um, is a time not of fasting but of feasting. Um, even the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it says you're going to feast on unleavened bread throughout the entire week. Um, and so we have a very directive thing. And it's not feasting as we said as the Middle Ages, and we get most of our concept of feasting from the Middle Age period um, and our connection there and, um, and where we have, you know, the, 
live music over there, you've got performers, you've got uh, an endless banquet table that you just gluttonously partake of till you are so full and drunken. But that's not really a biblical concept of feasting. It is very purposeful eating um, in alignment with what you're celebrating. If you're celebrating the Feast of First Fruits, what do you suppose you're eating? The first fruits. And so they are, your, your eating is very purposeful. Um, it is not just about quantity, but it is um, about what? It is the significance of it. Of course, Passover is enormously important um, of why they're eating unleavened bread and what they're trying to commemorate. And then, of course, um, Feast of Weeks and such, we have the opportunity to, at the end of harvest, to celebrate with how we eat. We're eating of what we have taken, the freshness of, the, of what we've just uh, harvested. And so we looked at those two, and we felt pretty comfortable with those two, right? That's pretty much in line with what we celebrate. We love to take those holidays off, and uh, we demand them from our workplaces um, to get a paid day off to celebrate. And we love the food and the connection of the food with that holiday. And we all have our traditions. Um, some of them aren't well-founded and are kind of strange. Some of them are just familial. They're, they're just something you grew up with and you like, and there's comfort in them. Um, but uh, um, hopefully we will take a little better tack towards it and start thinking more about what we are celebrating in the context of eating. And we don't often think of this where God says, eat before the Lord. That is, eat in his presence. And Israel was often required to eat in the presence of God. And Christians historically have viewed every meal as eating in the presence of God. How do we do that? We do that by, how do we remind ourselves we're doing that? We pray. We ask the Lord's blessing. Um, basically, we are confessing with our mouth that we are eating before the Lord. And so we express our thanksgiving for the food, for those that prepared it, for God's blessing. Before every meal, we are basically eating in the presence of God. We have invited him to our table, and we do that as soon as we bow our heads and pray, or don't buy our heads, open your eyes and look to the heavens, Whatever, however you pray, you're inviting and you're reminding yourself that there is um, one seated at the table um, that is higher than anyone else at the table, and that is God himself. And so the biblical concept that you are supposed to eat this before the Lord, so some of their meals were to be taken at the temple, that you, you eat it in front of God, because in their mind, that was the residence of God. And, of course, we understand the residence of God to be our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And yet we still gather to eat before the Lord as a people um, as well. And so part of our celebration needs to be eating. It's eating very purposefully and eating before the Lord. So we come down, and now we're going to get a little more New Testament-ish, but we're still going to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. We're going to transition more and more in the New Testament in our terms of our celebration. And by the way, eating is in the New Testament as well. Uh, we talked about communion last week as one of those things we eat very purposefully together before the Lord to commemorate our Lord's death um, till he comes. Um, the other thing that we find consistently in the Bible talks about in several places is the love feasts that were described that the church participated in, that they would all bring their food and they would eat. And, of course, the Corinthians were messing that up because they each brought their own food and ate their food. And so some people had, you know, little sack lunch and someone brought, you know, mammoth porterhouse steaks for himself. And so 
that, that irregularity, Paul says, that shouldn't be there. And so that's why in almost every church I've ever been in, every meal is a carrion dinner that's shared. In other words, it's just put on a buffet and you take whatever you want out of whatever you want so everyone eats what they want and no one's hungry and some people are, are overeaten or gluttonous. And so these love feasts. So what is a love feast? Well, it is a, a, another commemoration. It is a meal. I think it is comparable to Sabbath feast. Um, given when did the church meet? Well, according to Corinthians, the first day of the week. And they would gather together and uh, the Bible says they would take supper together. They would eat together. Um, on a very regular basis, and probably we need to do it more regularly than we do. We really only have a few meals a year together, and it would probably be much uh, more biblical for us to have it much more often. Um, some churches I've been to have one every month, once a month. Um, we had one church in Ohio that every Wednesday night they had that anyone that wanted to come to church could eat, and they would provide the food. Um, and they did that because they had a children's program there, and they wanted people, don't have to worry about going home and eating, you can just come right from work, you can eat, and then go into ministry with the children of the program, in the program. So they had, but anyone could come and eat, and they provided that meal every week. And so um, there are other practices, and uh, they probably are more in tune with God's word in terms of those love feasts and that idea of, of eating together as an act of worship, as an act of celebration. And we don't often associate that very strongly with worship, but we should. God says, this is how you worship me. This is how you celebrate in front of me, is to enjoy the food that I provided for you. But make sure you do it with a thankful heart. Make sure you do it with the right spirit. If you're grumbling and complaining, you're not worshiping. And that's true whether you're getting spiritually fed or whether you're getting physically fed. <laughs> okay? um, God wants you to eat before him and celebrate that way. And so um, the, the place for fasting is not in those settings, not on those holidays. You weren't allowed to do it in those holidays. You were commanded to eat, um, not in those circumstances. And, and I've encountered people that um, throughout my ministry in various places, not just in one part of the country, that uh, had very strong feelings that they shouldn't eat in church. I remember when I first encountered that, I was an intern at the church there in Ohio, and this one couple, very adamant that they do not eat in church, and uh, that is not appropriate, and, uh, and, and that was the first time I was really confronted with that, and I was like, so I just, being an intern, you're allowed to make stupid things, and I just said, well, why? Why do you feel that way? He's one of the deacons, and, uh, or trustee, maybe, trustees, and, uh, well, Why? And so he went through and described it. And I, and I was like, well, I, that's not a very good argument. Um, you know, compared to what, when you have these other scriptures in place. And um, interesting, before we left, they had a reception for my wife and I before we left that church to come to New Mexico. And um, he and his wife showed up. And it was phenomenal. They, everyone was like, and... Um, but he did that to honor me and, and hopefully to serve the Lord, maybe start to open up to some other things and uh, really to describe a friendship that we had um, come to over that time of being an intern. I'm just a young buck trying to learn some stuff and, uh, and just asking people questions so I can understand why they do what they do and what their thinking and belief systems are. So... Um, that was last week. So now let's get into this week a little bit, and this is going to be way outside your comfort zone. 
So last week was very comfortable, how to celebrate, take the day off, and eat. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> all right, we're with you, Pastor, all the way. And then here comes the brakes. Emergency brake, hit it, stop, dead. Um, we're going to talk about another facet. And it is listed there in Leviticus 22. I could take you back there. Um, but I really want, because we are connecting this series with our celebration of our Lord's birth, let's go to the book of Luke. And it's a passage we studied last Sunday morning, but I want to just come back to it because I didn't really spend any time on knowing that I was planning on using it here. And so we're in the book of Luke, and it talks about, in Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 21, how they um, did everything according to law for the baby Jesus. And so Luke uh, 2.21 is the circumcision. It says, when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, we're not told what else happened there, but the Leviticus 12 tells us exactly what was supposed to happen at that event. Let's go on. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so let's talk about this. They come before the Lord and they bring this sacrifice. And let's go to Leviticus 12 because that's what they're quoting from here. And let's just see what this sacrifice is all about and what's going on. Um, because there's really two different sacrifices that are happening here. Um, one is to take care of any sin issues, and, and apparently um, giving birth um, often produces a sin problem in women. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, one of these is a sin offering uh, associated with childbirth, and, and whether God just knows that you might say some things while you're delivering a baby that you don't mean, <laughs> God's going to give you an opportunity to cover that sin, really, in the first month, um, just to resolve that. I don't know, but there's a sin offering associated with it. So that's, we're, in, we're in Leviticus chapter 12. You see how short that chapter is. It's only eight verses. Um, and so it goes through and talks about the male child, but we want to jump down to what about just any child? And so um, let's go to verse 6. It says, when the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or a female. Um, and if she is not able to bring a lamb, she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. And so we have, uh, and if we went to Leviticus 22, one of the things you're going to see on these holy convocations is an instruction to do what? Bring a sacrifice. Bring a sacrifice. One of the great ways and consistently all through scripture that we celebrate together things with God is to bring a sacrifice. And so let's go back now and we find out there's two turtle doves. One is a sin offering. Okay. And the other one though um, is for people who can't afford a lamb. And these two have traveled from Nazareth and 
couldn't get a room and all of that. Um, the indication is the Magi probably haven't arrived yet when this happens, um, because if the rabbi, if the Magi had arrived, would they be in a poverty condition where they need to love? No, they had gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were pretty wealthy from that point on. Um, so the indication is the Magi haven't arrived yet a month after the birth. Um, and so here we are, and two turtle doves or two pigeons. Um, one of those is a sin offering. The other one is a burnt offering. And most of the offerings that are associated with celebration are burnt offerings. They are there, um, and this is a, an image that's going to come up in the New Testament um, that Paul's going to use. They are there as a means of making a declaration of thanksgiving before the Lord and a recognition, a statement by the sacrifice uh, that I recognize God's ownership, I recognize God's supply, I recognize God as the grantor of all that I have and the benefits and, and, uh, and each of these sacrifices. Sometimes those sacrifices were of the first fruits. Why? I recognize that God gave me bounty in my harvest. Um, those sacrifices are there, a lamb occasionally, sometimes some other things. This is different and distinct from the sin offerings. We don't replicate those because Jesus is our sin offering. So we don't worry ourselves about sin offerings. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about other celebratory offerings where we're simply giving an offering to celebrate an event. And that is pretty common, actually. If you look through Scripture, um, when they uh, purified or sanctified, set apart, when they finally got everything built for the tabernacle, they had all these sacrifices, not to deal with sin, but just to celebrate its completion. The same thing when the temple was built. Just read through and see how much Solomon sacrificed before the Lord to dedicate the temple. It's like, I don't even know how they could possibly have slaughtered all those animals. I mean, I, it wasn't a day. I mean, it was uh, over a, quite a season of time, even more than a week, that he was doing this to purify or to set apart or to celebrate the completion of the temple. Um, and so he recognized his great wealth, and out of his great wealth, he gave a, gave a great sacrifice sufficient so that you could recognize well this is costly he just gave a very costly celebration yes because he had great wealth he was willing to give a costly sacrifice and when we look here we find that God understands that there are those that have more and those that have less and he doesn't say if you don't have anything you don't have to sacrifice does he he says, just sacrifice proportionately to what you have so part of our partying as a Christian ought to be sacrifices. Well, is this consistent in the New Testament? I think so. Well, let's go to the, our, our birth narrative very quickly. You guys know the story there in Luke, right? Luke is not, is not lost on, on, I'm sorry, in Matthew. Uh -huh. I'm turning to Matthew saying Luke. In Matthew, we find um, in Christ's birth narrative that uh, here comes in Matthew the tax collector. He understands this realm of finances pretty well. Um, and here come the Magi in chapter 2. And what are they bringing? They are bringing those three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, they are bringing it as a sacrifice. 
They would never present themselves before a king without a gift. Think about that for a minute. Would you ever present yourself before the king without a gift? Even the queen of Beersheba would not present herself to Solomon without a gift, and she had a huge one. Greater the king, the more necessary the gift. And if you have great wealth, your gift should be great. You do not present yourself before the king without a gift. Is the ancient way of doing it. You're going to do that. And so the Magi come to present themselves before this king, um, he who was born king of the Jews, and, um, and they're going to bring appropriate gifts with them. They would never arrive without a gift. And so they, they bring these sacrifices to the king, who is also God. And this is the premise of our gift-giving. And the, the problem is, is we've turned sacrifice upside down. Haven't we? Everyone says, why do we give gifts? Well, to remember the Magi. But for some reason, um, we give gifts to each other instead of giving any gifts to God. Ultimately, a sacrifice is that which is given to God. It is released to him. And a burnt offering is an incredible declaration. <laughs> um, what's left when you're done? <laughs> nothing. Nothing to take home. There's no leftovers. There's no excess. There's no benefit to you. There's no benefit to you. You walk away. It's burnt. Um, it's over. It's gone. What about a drink offering? You just pour it on the ground. Now, I'm a Dutch guy, and my wife is, and I, we were just discussing this today, how practical we are and and um you just wasted that you just poured that on the dirt what is it a declaration of i'm pouring this out to the lord this is for you and i don't care and frankly i would have been right there sitting beside judas nodding my head when he says why is she wasting this pouring it out over jesus's body when it could be sold and given to the poor. That's me. That's how I think. How can I use my resources to the most efficient, frugal manner? And I can't just waste that by pouring it out before the God. It's not waste. It is worship. An extravagance of sacrifice is something that is well-pleasing to God. What is the value of a burnt thing when it's done? Well, it has no value to you and me. Its value is to the Lord and the fact that I am releasing it completely to him, all control over it, and all of its human value. I'm releasing it. It's of no value to me at this point. I've completely given it to God. That's a sacrifice. I've completely given that to God. And so here the Magi are coming, presenting these gifts before the king, born king of the Jews, and they are relinquishing it. They're just lavishing it on him. And that's why from this point forward, we're not going to see the, the uh, messianic, messianic family have any problems financially. Um, I, I'm sure it wasn't just a little nugget of gold. I'm pretty sure it was pretty substantial. 
Um, they didn't travel across for weeks to get there um, to give them, you know, here's a couple of coins. Uh, this is a lavish gift. It's a sacrifice. And so we go through the New Testament. What does the Bible tell us? Well, of course, in Corinthians, it says that uh, you're supposed to, if you really care about the poor, you set aside as God has prospered you. That's at the end of 1 Corinthians, if you want to go there. This is financially. We're going to talk about financial sacrifice first. Um, so how often is that? What is that associated with? Well, that would be associated with your once a week Sabbath, your once a week party. And by the way, we had Xing here for a little while who's Chinese, and uh, she says, oh, you're having a party this Sunday. I was like, we're having worship services. Yeah, that's what I mean, a party. In China, they call it a party. So church services are parties because you wouldn't ever say in public, I want to invite you to a church service because it's against the law. But you can invite them to your house for a party. And so they always have parties. So she came here. She just said, you're having a party this Sunday? I said, it confused me. But the fact is, this is supposed to be a celebration every Sunday. It is a party. All right? We're feasting on God's word. We have fellowship. We're supposed to enjoy this. Um, and, uh, and if we get convicted or re-instructed along the way, that's great. But fundamentally, the Sabbath, one of the things that you celebrate with is sacrifice. And he says, when you get together once a, a, a week, Every first day of the week, it says in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, um, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And so you, once a week, you set it aside, uh, and you sacrifice it. There it is. Um, and I appreciate the fact that, that uh, you guys don't get paid every week. Um, I get paid once a month. My wife gets paid every other week. Um, some of you get paid weekly. Some of you, uh, I don't know. Um, and, you know, I could easily just say, well, I only bring an offering whenever I get paid, but what my wife and I have done is you just take out, here's what it's going to be for the month, and we divide it so that every Sunday we bring the same amount. Why? It's not just to make it easier on the treasurer to set up a budget. <laughs> it's because I want to present myself before the Lord with a gift every time. And that's what I do. And so that's how we give. And so it's the same amount every week, but it is factored out from what we know we will be paid over this month, and we split it up so that we bring it every time we come. So we always have something as a gift to give to the Lord. And, um, and so we can, we can do it as God has prospered us. And uh, if you don't want to do that, that's okay. It's, this isn't a hard and fast rule. But based upon the idea of a Sabbath celebration, um, I don't want to come empty-handed to the party. I want to bring a sacrifice. Now, financially is not the only sacrifice, but I have one more example of that in Philippians, if you'll turn there. Philippians, we'll have just one more quick example of finances, because that's not the only thing, but it is one. In Philippians, um, at the end of chapter 4, Paul is thanking the Philippians for their gift to him. Um, 
and let's look at verse 16. It says, For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And then that verse we all like. We don't like the qualification verses, but we like this verse. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so here he says that this is a sacrifice, and they had made a commitment to send this to Paul to aid in his ministry. Um, they sent an emissary with that gift, and Paul says this is a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. And so, yes, you can with your material wealth um, please God and express worship and thanksgiving. But it's not the only way, correct? The Bible also talks that we're going to give him sacrifices of praise, and my time is really running short, so I'm not, I, I've got some other references. But that we give him the sacrifice of praise. And that's talked about over and over. That we come, when we gather together, we're supposed to minister one to another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Making melody in your hearts. If it's not in your heart, no wonder nothing comes out of your mouth. Whenever I see Christians not singing, I assume that their heart isn't interested or thankful. They're not really here to celebrate. They're here to fulfill some religious obligation or something, but they're not really here to celebrate because uh, they would open their mouth and let it rip based on what's in their heart. And so this is a sacrifice of praise. And what do we find um, in, the, in Psalm? What does is, what is, um, David say? Um, burnt offerings you didn't require, what did you want? What does he want? A broken and contrite spirit or heart. And so don't just sing because, well, we're supposed to sing, but it comes out of the heart. Okay? And so God says that um, there ought to be this sacrifice as well, that it doesn't matter if I'm out of tune and that people laugh at me. It doesn't matter how foolish I might look. Um, we were watching The Sound of Music this afternoon. I'm like, I can't imagine a 15-year-old boy in our society doing what that Von Trapp boy did in front of everybody at a party. No way, none of them would ever, ever, ever do that. So long. Never. Okay? But if you have a heart full of thanksgiving, you abase yourself. Do you remember what happened when they are bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem? What did the king David do? He abased himself. He says, I will be a fool for Christ, and I'm going to sing and dance, and, and yeah, I'm not even going to wear all my royal stuff. That's inappropriate. Um, this is all about God, and he abased himself to the point that his wife was embarrassed of him. God dealt with her. You don't have any kids. He abased himself. He was willing to be, look foolish, have people laugh at him, even have his own wife scorn him because that didn't matter. It was a sacrifice of praise. 
And when your heart's in the right place, it doesn't matter how it sounds. It doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't, none of that matters. It is a sacrifice. I am releasing this from a full heart, and I just want it to go out to God. I don't care what anyone else thinks. I don't, you know, and I don't care if they think I'm too loud, if I'm out of key. I don't care about any of that. That's a sacrifice of praise that says I'm going to base myself. The people that have to be all perfect and, and in tune and, and everything has to be just right um, and real professional. I've been in churches where that was the model and that's what you had to be and you had to try out for the choir and, and um, they got their praise, their praise of men. They're performing. And performance is built on the word acting. <laughs> They're acting. It's not true. It's not from the heart. And it's not worship. It's not praise. And uh, one of our favorite little songs is about, please let me sing in the choir. Um, and we love that song. You know, it's about a guy that tried out for the choir every single year and every time he was turned down because they couldn't sing very well and then he passes away and he sings better than everybody else from heaven. Um, interrupts one of their services. Um, it's about the heart. A sacrifice of praise comes out of a right heart. And it doesn't matter what it sounds like or looks like. And it doesn't matter whether people point and laugh and snicker or scorn you or, or go, you're not very good at that. Who cares? It's not for you. It's a sacrifice of praise. And so we lay that out there. And we find uh, the concept of sacrifice consistent throughout the whole New Testament that we're going to sacrifice of ourselves. That we have sacrifice of service. That that's what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are all about. That we're not, you, they're not for my interest. It's not for my enjoyment. It's not for my elevation. It is for ministry to others and my sacrifice of service. And Paul himself says, you know, if I get beat up, if I get shipwrecked, none of that matters. I am serving God by serving his people and serving you with the gospel. And these are our sacrifices that we come before the Lord with. And so part of our celebration, part of our honoring in, in, with different events should involve a sacrifice. Um, our little mountain church in Virginia we were at, and if it was your birthday that week, you know what they expected you to do that Sunday? Who had a birthday this week? I did. Okay, come on up. You know what they had to do? Empty their pockets and put it in a jar. And you know what people did? They filled their pockets on their birthday week. Because they knew that was coming. And they were going to celebrate their birthday not by getting, but by giving. And we have totally flipped this whole idea of sacrifice around. And now, to celebrate an event like a baby getting born, we don't give, we get. We expect gifts. We don't think, I need to thank God by making this sacrifice. And this is a pretty public event, that they're, this, this circumcision and, and the presentation and all of that. And it was accompanied with a sacrifice in accordance with how God has prospered you. For the poor people, he gave a smaller sacrifice, a bird. For the ones that had the means, um, a lamb. How do you celebrate God's work in your life on your birthday? 
Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme. Here's what I want for my birthday. Don't forget my birthday. It's my birthday. See, I always remember where my birthday is because Andrea always tells me when hers is, and I know mine is right close to hers. Our whole concept is self-giving. Never, I'm celebrating my birthday by giving. I'm celebrating the birth of my child by a sacrifice. I'm celebrating Christ's birth by a sacrifice. We celebrate with an expectation of getting. I've graduated, and instead of giving a sacrifice to God, thanking him that he got you through and gave you a B when you know you didn't deserve it in organic chemistry, you expect gifts from us. Whenever we celebrate stuff, we expect people to come bring us stuff. And it's the exact opposite of the Bible. When you want to celebrate, you come with a spirit to give. And I want to sacrifice for the Lord. And so look through. The, look through. Something wonderful happens in your life? I want to go sacrifice something to God. Even Jephthah, in his foolish vow, was in the right spirit. He should have just been more specific. I'm going to get my prize bowl and sacrifice it to you instead of saying, first thing that needs to be at the house door. That was kind of stupid. But the concept of I want to acknowledge God's grace in my life and his, the victory he's given me, this event, when God gives me a job, when God, um, <laughs> you know, I want to recognize this substantial event in my life. How do I do that? Well, rest, eat, sacrifice. Give of yourself, of your stuff, Whatever. We do a little bit of this, by the way. Um, and I've seen a little bit in my ministry where, um, and normally it's, it's uh, celebrating or acknowledging um, a death. Usually it's memorials. Memorials. And so um, there are some organizations that have memorial offerings given when someone dies or uh, recognize someone's uh, when they're retired and things like that, and they'll give memorials and they put their name in the publication or, or on the hymn book, um, or, on the chair or whatever. This given a memorial too. Um, so we still have some remnants of it, um, but pretty much we've just bought into the fact that to celebrate is to get, not to give. And we've really lost the idea that I'm going to celebrate this precious thing God has given to me by bringing a sacrifice to him. And the Bible says this is an aroma to God that's well-pleasing. This is what pleases God. We have a spirit that says to celebrate is to give. When the, the, the society around us says to celebrate is to get. That who brought me a gift? Where's my presence? Where's my mind, my mind? And uh, boy, we ingrained in our children, don't we, Daniel? He had a birthday party last yesterday, right? For all of our, his, his kiddos, and we all had it. We all have these big parties for our kids, and what is it all about? Giving it to them. Um, maybe we should rethink that a little bit and say, um, what are you giving to thank God that he gave you life for another year? What are you giving?
And sometimes that could be wasteful from a human perspective. We're going to pour this out before the Lord. We're going to burn it. We're going to burn this before the Lord. Maybe not literally, but figuratively. Um, just be extravagant in giving. This is sacrifice. Um, and it comes from a right heart, a heart that is ready to celebrate all that God has done for us. And so I, I have had, um, in my time as a pastor, I've had two families that every time they had a child would come to me and say, um, we want to do this because God gave us this child. And uh, they didn't want fanfare. They, didn't, they did it quietly, but they wanted to give this on both occasions, pretty substantial gift, um, financially at least, materially, um, to celebrate that birth. But here's what I'd normally get. Pastor, can I come to your office? I know it's December 31st, but I gotta get this in so I can get it on my taxes. Okay, wrong spirit. And usually I'll say, I'm not available. <laughs> you have to wait till Sunday. <laughs> now you have to count for next year. Um, if that's, and by the way, in the newspaper today, your charitable giving, and now's the time to do it. Because um, you've held on to your money all year. Now you've got to get that tax benefit so you can throw it at your chari- favorite charity now. This is the week to do it, you know, between Christmas and New Year's. Um, if that's the reason you're giving it, just keep it in your pocket because you're not worshiping God with it. You're just not doing it with the right heart. And it's never going to be lavish that way. And it's never going to be given out of the spirit of the overflow of celebration. It's going to be out of drudgery. Because i got to avoid taxes. And by the way, that's not the best way to avoid taxes. The best way is to just don't earn any money. Then you don't have to pay any taxes. So. Oh, you don't want to be poor. Okay, so just pay your taxes and just be glad you need to pay taxes because you make enough money to pay taxes. Okay, but we need to add sacrifice to our concept of celebration. Instead of gimme, 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 it's what can I give. That needs to be part of our celebrations is sacrifice. And, it, and frankly, I think God's word enables us to use that model. If, they, if your children see it in you, it, they'll catch it and they'll find the joy of it if they can see it modeled by your actions um, they'll pick up on it and they'll recognize you know it's my birthday and it doesn't have to be all about me maybe it needs to be about me giving instead of about me getting maybe it's about me serving instead of me being served maybe it's about me giving people what they need instead of making sure everyone gets gives me my way and totally transform the idea of celebration from gimme, gimme, gimme to give, give, give. For this pleases God.